we discover our spiritual gifts by first pursuing our general responsibility. What do I mean by that? Start pursuing what God has called you already to do. Spiritual gifts develop and are revealed in the context of ministry. So if you don't know what your gifts are, my question is, how are you serving? Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Why don't you open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4.10, and you can keep your finger there. I'm going to read another passage, and then I'm going to jump really quick to your verse, and then we'll pray. So while you're there in 1 Peter 4.10, I'm just going to read real quick in 1 Corinthians 12, so you can just listen up to this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, and he says here, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then 1 Peter Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much, Lord, that we have your written word down in front of us, God, and Lord, that in it we find promises for every day, Lord, for everyday matters of life, Lord, for the big things that we face, Lord, whether it's needing to trust you, God, whether it's, 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 it's needing you to break through in our lives, or even for salvation, the gospel is found there. God, but even for the small things, our daily things that we face, what it looks like to walk like Jesus and and to live like Jesus. And I just pray, Father, that you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. You'd enlighten us, God, to the knowledge of Christ in the scriptures. Lord, that we would see Jesus as he is clearly displayed throughout all pages of the Bible and that we would submit ourselves to what is read and what is said and um, that we would just bring you glory and honor. God, we want to be your church. We want to be used by you. And so we pray that you would, you would do that and even start right now. Start with this um, Bible study, God. We pray in Jesus' name. We all said amen. 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 Well, if you're like me, you like to read books. And if you've ever read books, maybe when you were younger, you might have read um, the books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody in here? Oh, yeah. Come on. Homeschoolers. Maybe? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I didn't go. I wasn't homeschooled, but I feel your pain. Um, so in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a scene where Father Christmas shows up, and he comes to give the children there some mysterious gifts as they transition from Earth to this Narnian world. It's a great word to say, Narnian world. And as Father Christmas explains to them that when the time is right, that they will know what these gifts are for. And they don't realize it at the moment, but these gifts will prove crucial in their great battle with their enemy, the White Witch. Yeah, come on. Yes, the White Witch. Yeah, there we go. And as you read on, you find that young Lucy, the gift that she receives is this gift of a healing ointment. And at first, she doesn't really know what to do with it. But over time, she realizes that the healing ointment is given to her so she can heal the wounded in battle. And the young man, Peter 
realizes that the gift that he was given, which is a sword and a shield, that those gifts were given to him for the purpose of leading the charge in the war against the white witch. And it was in these moments that these children realized what was required of them by looking at their gifts. And what C.S. Lewis did so beautifully here as he pictures even the Christian walk was that in the same way, this is true for us as Christians, that we come to know what God wants from us by reflecting on the gifts that he gives to us. And so the question I want all of us to think about as we've been moving through the Holy Spirit and we've been talking about who the Holy Spirit is, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and as Andrew gave me the awesome opportunity to start the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, come on, man. You're like, of all days for him to be gone, I get to do this one. But the question I want to ask you guys is, tonight, do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And more importantly, do you know what they are for? You know, I kind of did a poll around asking a couple of my friends and even some people here at church and asked them just kind of a plain, easy, yes or no question. Said, hey, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And surprisingly, more people said no than yes. You know, I don't know about you guys, but that's a little bit of my story, of my story. When I was in college and when I had just gotten saved and... Um, I had just gotten saved in high school when I was going into my senior year of high school and into college. I was on fire for the Lord, man. I was just so, just wanted to experience more of God and whatever it looked like. And I became friends with all kinds of Christians. If you love Jesus, man, I wanted to know you. And back in my town where I lived in Texas, like there wasn't a lot of Christians like that were my age. It was, it was really difficult. And so I clung to those friends I had. And it was really sweet because um, I had friends that were like, from Baptist churches, from really Pentecostal churches to like what some people would claim seeker friendly churches would be, you know, or all that stuff. And I had all these different friends. And when we would all get together, sometimes we would do worship nights and I would, ex sometimes I would, I would experience um, the Holy Spirit and see it differently used in, in, in uh, my different friends, you know. And I remember one time, <laughs> you know, when I was um, just looking for anything to, to grow me as a Christian, I heard that there was a conference going on at this high school that was um, near where I lived. And so I, I, um, I convinced my best friend to go with me. Okay, and so we didn't know anything about this conference. We didn't know anyone at this conference. And we just kind of just were like, let's just shoot for it. You know, we're young and whatever. We didn't have a life. So we went for it. And we went to this conference, you know, um, Worship went on, the teaching went on, we're like, okay, yeah, all right, we're kind of like just, you know, getting into it. And then afterwards, they, they did a prayer, like, if anyone wants to receive, if anyone wants more of the Holy Spirit, you know, come forward. And I was young, and I was like, man, I'll take all I can get. Like, give it to me more, Lord. Like, yes. And so I went up there, and I was standing in the front with my, my hands, you know, raised, and I was just during the worship songs, and, and um, people, pastors were, were praying for people, you know, individually. But like I kind of heard like a little bit of a commotion that was kind of going on as I was standing up there, and I like I opened one eye to like look out, and I saw that people were being fall like people were falling, like people were being pushed over and like falling and like falling down on the ground, and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just walk into? Like I I, I was I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a little I was a little freaked out, you know, I was kind of a new walking in my faith, didn't know what to happen, and they were getting like one closer and closer and closer to me, and I was like. And I was just like, oh, Lord, 
God, I was just like, you know what, I, you know, I don't even know right now. And they got to me and the pastor, you know, was praying over me and, and, and really sweet prayer, you know, and, and he was praying over me and, I, and in my head I was thinking like, Lord, I, I don't want to fall down, <laughs> but unless you want me to fall down, like I was, I was in this place where I was like, if it's you, Jesus, I want it. Like, but if it's not you, God, I don't want it, you know? And so, and he was praying over me and they're all praying over me. And I could feel like a little bit of like, a little bit of like pressure on my chest. And I was like, I was like, I'm not falling. I'm sorry. I'm not falling. And so I just kind of stood there and they kind of gave up on me and they kind of went to their next person along. And I was just there and I was, I just felt so defeated. And I kind of like, I walked back to my seat and, and the story gets even crazier as I walk back to my seat. I was sitting there just kind of trying to worship and pray. And, and behind me, I heard like a man that was barking and growling, like no joke. Okay. I heard, I heard this and I was so confused. And I was like, like I said, I was a new Christian. and didn't know what was going on. And I was just like, Lord, I have no idea what's happening right now. Like <laughs> if they bring out snakes, I'm about to run out of this building. <laughs> You know, I don't know what's going to happen. But I remember praying this in all sincerity. I remember praying, Lord, if, if this is you, be glorified, Jesus. Be lifted high. But if this isn't you, God, I, I pray that this would stop. This, whatever this noise was I was hearing behind me. And the moment I finished that prayer, I didn't hear it anymore. I didn't hear it anymore. It was gone the entire night. Even like afterwards, I like got up when the lights turned on. There was like nobody behind me. I was like really freaked out. And I was like, I'm going to leave. Let's go, dude. And I grabbed my friend and we kind of left. And, you know, maybe some of you have had experiences like that with the Holy Spirit, you know. Maybe when you heard the fact that we were going, um, talking about the Holy Spirit uh, tonight, maybe you looked at your watch or you glanced at the exit, got a little nervous on your seat because Maybe you had a bad experience at church with the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've kind of been fearful of him, fearful of, of, of that, you know? We need to understand something, and that's the abuse of a thing does not destroy the use of a thing. That just because someone got it wrong doesn't mean that it can't be done right. Just because we had a bad experience in the past, don't allow that to determine how you relate to the Holy Spirit today. Okay. But we can't, we, you know, we, we can kind of go on the opposite of that too. And we can be someone that neglects the Holy Spirit, man. We don't even go near it. You know, Hey, you know, maybe you're, you're like that. You're like, Zach, I'm, I don't, Holy Spirit. I, you know, I know the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Word, but I don't, I don't know who the Holy Spirit is, you know, maybe, maybe you've never been taught on who the Holy Spirit is. And you see, both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. The enemy would love to, as Christians for us, to swing us to polar extremes, whether it's unscriptural abuse or it's deadening neglect, where the Christian has lost all their power. We need to use scripture, the Bible. That's why it's important for you as a Christian to read your word. We need to use scripture to ground ourselves because we want to be scripturally grounded. We want to be doctrinally grounded as Christians. But at the same time, we want to be open to the mystery of the Spirit's promptings because there is a part of God's Spirit 
that is mysterious. I mean, you cannot deny that. Jesus even said it, and I have the cross reference up here for you in John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus said that the wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus even said that there's something mysterious even about the workings of the Spirit, about coming to new life, even being born again by the Spirit. One of my favorite pastors and teachers, Tim Chaddock, he's quoted for saying this, and I have the quote up there too, and he says, we should never be cautious of the Holy Spirit. We should only be cautious of fallible humans. The Holy Spirit is not weird, okay? You and I are weird, (laughs) all right? Never be cautious of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life. We get weird, and but we shouldn't let caution or neglect turn us into cynics. And so in light of that, the gifts of the Spirit. Are you guys ready? You guys ready for this? <laughs> Maybe you ask, what are the gifts of the Spirit? All right. Well, there's the gift of an apostle. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of teaching, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the gift of a word of wisdom, the gift of a word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of distinguishing between spirits, the gift of the evangelist, the gift of the pastor teacher, the gift of serving, the gift of encouraging, the gift of contributing, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, the gift of marriage, hey and the gift of celibacy which I'm sure all of you in here are praying that you don't have. (laughs) Wow, that's a lot, right? 22 gifts of the Spirit, 22 gifts of the Spirit are listed in total in the Bible. And these these gifts are found throughout 1 Corinthians. You can find them in Romans 12. You can find them in Ephesians 4, as well also in 1 Peter 4, in the passage we just read. And now these lists were not meant to tell us what every single spiritual gift was, you know? Because we kind of get weird when we, ha- when we encounter lists, don't we? Anyone ever taken an Enneagram test? We get a little weird. You know, we can admit that we're like, because when we see lists, we want to be like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm, you know, a gift of leadership, wing mercy, you know, with like a wing, you know, it's like, and maybe if you've, and you know, if you've never heard of the Enneagram, like just thank God that you've never heard of it, <laughs> okay? Now these gifts weren't listed in total for us, for us to figure something out like that, for us to take some test online, maybe you've done that, to take some test, what gift do I have? But rather, they're there to illustrate clusters of different kinds of gifts and how these gifts meet the needs of people. But understand this, every one of us in here, if you're a Christian, every believer has a gift, if not more than one. And no one believer has them all except for Jesus. 1 Peter 4.10, look back at your Bibles at 1 Peter 4.10. I also have the cross reference up there, but it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each of us has received a gift. If you're sitting here today and you've given your life to Jesus, you have a gift. You have a spiritual gift. And so, Each one of us has a spiritual gift, but also what's beautiful about the gifts, and Andrew even talked about this last time, is that even in each gift, that there's a variety in those gifts. There's a variety in those gifts. When you look at that verse and it says that um, 
that these gifts are tokens of God's varied grace, that that word that Peter uses there for varied is the same word that can be defined as having many facets or aspects or having rich diversity. It's like a diamond. It's like a diamond. Every angle you look at it, you find something new. You find a new facet, a new beauty in it. And it's the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. Each gift has a variant depending on the uniqueness of how God created us. You know, Andrew said it last time. He said, you know, the way that I teach is going to be different than the way that Andrew uses the gift of teaching. His is way better. <laughs> you know, his is way better. <laughs> you know, but all, all that to say, every person, though you might have the same gift as someone, it's going to look differently in your life because God created us each here uniquely and differently. Okay? So beautiful. Our God is so creative, so wonderful. And so every gift will have a different expression in each person with that gift. And so we're breaking down the, these listed gifts that we find in the Bible, these gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, you might have heard it, but we're breaking it down into these three categories that we find in Old Testament offices. Okay, we're breaking it down into priestly gifts, prophetic gifts, and kingly gifts. And we find really in all of them that Jesus fulfills them all that he is the perfect prophet, priest, and king, and he fulfills them all. And today, we get the chance to look at the priestly gifts, all right? And these gifts would include anything that involves showing mercy or care for those that are in need or even involving interceding before God. And the gifts that fall under this category that we're going to be looking at are mercy, contributing, service, healing, and tongues, all right? Let's go. Gift of mercy. We find this gift. This is the first gift that we come across. We find this one listed in Romans 12, verse 6 and 8. You can turn there if you want. If you don't want to, I have it up here on the screen. Romans 12 starts off in verse 6 by saying, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Paul encourages us. He says, let us use them. And then he, we skip down to verse 8. We find the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the Greek word for this, for mercy, is a word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Maybe you can ask Brad in the back. He knows a lot of Greek. <laughs> He'll let you know. But the Greek word for this word, mercy, means to have or to show compassion or pity. And so what does this gift look like? Well, we know that as Christians, you know, I, I mentioned this to Andrew. I was kind of struggling with this as I was studying for this. I told Andrew, I was like, the gift of mercy, aren't we all called to be merciful as Christians? Right? Wouldn't you say that? So what makes mercy different than the gift of mercy? You know, we're, we know that as Christians, we're all called to be merciful. Jesus even said it in Matthew 5, 7. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he was teaching to his disciples of, of the kingdom of God, of what it's like, he's saying the kingdom of God is filled with merciful people. It's filled with merciful people. So then what makes the gift different than just being merciful? Well, I want us to look at a parable that Jesus shows where Jesus really reveals what this gift of mercy looks like in this man. So why don't you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I don't have this one on the screen. So you can open up to Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 35.
And it says here, in verse 30, it says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, verse 31, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So here we see such a beautiful picture of what mercy, the gift of mercy, looks like fleshed out in this Samaritan man. You know, the crazy thing about Samaritans, if you haven't studied the Bible before, is, is Jews saw this group of people, Samaritans, really, they really disliked. There's, there's, there's a lot of tension between Samaritans and Jews because they saw Samaritans as half-breeds. You know, the history of Samaritans is they were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. Long ago, they, the, their, um, the Jews mixed with people of the land out there and created Samaritans. And so Jews who really took pride in their heritage and in their purity of, of lineage and that they were Jewish, they were sons of Abraham, they saw these Samaritans as like, oh, dude, these are half-breeds. Like, you know, it's like someone who thinks they're a Californian, but they're not, you know, like me up here. <laughs> I was born in Texas. <laughs> I tried surfing once, okay, and I'm horrible at it. <laughs> so, but what's so beautiful about this story is that the Samaritan in this story, he breaks through even racial divides, and he cares for this injured man. When, when, a Jew and a Levite, a religious leader and a Levite pass by him and just step over him and just ignore him. This Samaritan man breaks through those divides even of race and all of that and cares for this injured man even if it costs him time, energy, and money. Man, the love that this Samaritan showed this man was a sacrificial type of love, really a Jesus-like type of love. And so the gift of mercy, how this plays into the gift of mercy, people with this gift have an extra measure of grace in showing mercy towards others. They have great compassion on people who are less fortunate and in need. They care for others with their time, with their energy, and even with their finances. And just like the Samaritan man in this parable, listen to this, they don't wait to be asked. Seeing the need is enough for them to do something about it. And they even do it with a smile on their face, right? I mean, if you look back at Romans 12, 8, where this gift is, is mentioned, um, it says that the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness, joyfully, you know? Have you ever had somebody, like, take care of you, but, like, grudgingly? And you're just like, you don't want to be here right now. Just leave. <laughs> you know, maybe you've gone to the hospital and you've had a nurse like that. <laughs> you're like, please, send me someone kinder <laughs> with mercy. <laughs> You know, um, none of you, none of you over here in the front, if, or maybe. <laughs> but cheerfulness, they're, they're not waiting to be asked to show mercy on someone. They're not waiting, oh, is, are people looking or even of that? 
that seeing someone in need is enough for them to act upon it. I thank God that Jesus had this in him. You know, we see it in Mark chapter 6, verse 32, and I have the, the passage up here. Jesus and his disciples had just done a lot of ministering, and Jesus was telling them, hey, we're going to go across on a boat to the other side. And he says here, he says, we need to go to a desolate place and rest. We just need to take a breather, take a quick halftime, and let's get, let's, let's get our energy back. So in Mark 6, 32, and I have it in the New Living Translation. I like the way it says it there. It says, so they left, the disciples, they left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore, and they got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Man, I'm so thankful that Jesus has mercy with me, that he doesn't get tired of me. He doesn't get weary of me. The Bible says that he doesn't grow weary or tired, that he neither sleeps nor slumbers, that he's not weariful of you, that when you come to him and you cry to him, even with the same thing over and over, Lord, forgive me again, God. God, this is happening again in my life. He doesn't grow tired. In this story, even though Jesus was physically weary and exhausted and ready to rest, he saw the people and he had compassion on them. You know, most of us are not like that. You know, I put myself in this story and I would be like, come on, Jesus, we're going to rest. You know, like, if, if, you know, if you're like me, you enjoy your alone time. You know, anybody else in here? You like really like, oh, that's where I recharge. I, I'm like a introverted extrovert. I'm weird. I love alone time, but I get really recharged being around people. I don't know. I'm weird. But maybe you're like that. You're like, you value your time, your alone time, you know, and you're maybe at work and you're like, if I'm on my lunch break and I have my headphones in, I don't want to hear about your grandma, Carl. Okay. <laughs> you know, maybe your coworker or whatever. <laughs> you, know, you don't have mercy. <laughs> you're like, you, you know, <laughs> those with the gift of mercy, they don't see people as interruptions in their day. They don't see people as annoyances in their day. Rather, they're willing to get into in uncomfortable situations in order to meet people's needs. I'll say that again. People with the gift of mercy are willing to get uncomfortable to meet people's needs. How rad is that? Jesus showed us this in Mark 1, verse 41, when he met a leper who was asking for healing. And back then, leprosy was a contagious disease and was seen as, especially as Jews, was seen as an unclean disease. Like you were separated outside of the city from your family, from the temple. So you're in a sense, your relationship with God, you lived in a colony with lepers, with people that were dealing with this just as you were. And nobody wanted to touch them. And every, every time someone came near you, if you were a leper, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. So they would know, hey, social distance, you know, maybe that kind of rings a little bit closer to home after this past year to us. But check this out, okay? Check this out. Look at Mark um, chapter one, verse 41. It says that moved with compassion after this leper was asking for healing, Jesus reached out and he touched him and he said, I am willing, be healed. How rad is that? How rad is that? Someone with the gift of mercy is willing to be that physical touch of compassion, not to get uncomfortable, hey, 
you know, you got the big C, little V, I'm going to pray for you. Let me lay my hands on you. Let me pray for you. Like, they're willing to get uncomfortable, to get into those uncomfortable situations, to see people that are dealing with issues in life that are very awkward to talk about, that kind of ruin, you know, the, the, the mood of the conversation in, in some groups. They're willing to dive into that in order to help people, in order to be that touch of compassion to those that are in pain or in need or in sorrow. You know, I believe Romans 12, 15 has a good gauge of how people with this gift use it. And it says there in Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If any of you, and I'm pretty sure all of us in this room have dealt with heartbreak or loss, you know how cherishing it is for those people to come into you while you're, while you're, while you're dealing with that and to, in a sense, not say anything and just weep with you as you cry. You know, you have those friends that come and they're like, well... Happens to the best of us, and you're like, just shut up, okay? <laughs> Can you just shut? Up? <laughs> you know that's not the get to mercy. You know, someone who's who's willing to to weep with those who are weeping. That's that's the gift of mercy. And so to kind of wrap that all up into one sentence here, to one definition, I, I wrote down here: the person with the gift of mercy has a sensitive heart to the needs of others and is compassionately willing to meet that need cheerfully, whatever the cost. Do you know someone like that? I know someone like that. My mom, man, <laughs> that is my mom. Maybe all of our moms, right? <laughs> you start crying. <laughs> Talk about my mama, you know. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe you know someone like that, man. Encourage them. Encourage them in their gift. The gift of mercy. Next, we find the gift of contributing or giving. There's another word for it. This one's also found in Romans 12, verse 8. Earlier on in this verse, Romans 12, verse 8, earlier on it says, to the one who contributes or gives in generosity. This gift of, of giving. The word for contributing there, it means to give over, to share, or impart. You know, I was studying for this gift, and I was like, this kind of seems a little self-explanatory. Like, doesn't it? Like, gift of giving. Like, you're a giving person. Like, I don't know if it was just me being like on no sleep and no coffee and everything, or, but this gift might seem pretty self-explanatory, and it partly is. However, the gift of giving is more than just giving a tithe to a church or an organization or being really generous with your barista at Starbucks, okay? Like, I got the gift of giving. I gave you $2 for tip instead of one or none. You're really nice to me. No, the person with this gift has a divine instinct to give. They're always looking for ways to give. Jesus gave us an example of how this gift should be used in Matthew 6, verses 2 through 4, and I have it in the NASB. Get ready. I'm, I'm going through all, a lot of translations in this one. There's so many that were really speaking to me. Matthew 6, it says, When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet, before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they're praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So cool. We see that the giver should be careful not to give arrogantly, hoping that others would see, you know? You're not doing like a conga line on your way over to like, hey, check this out, everybody. I'm about to give this, you know, homeless person some food or some water or share with them the gospel. Hey, did everyone hear? Or, you know, like when you walk into church, you're like, 
guess what I just did, guys? You won't believe it. And you just began to list all, this, all the ways that you gave. Like, that is not the way that God intends for us to give. God wants our giving to be humble and in secret. I like how he says that. Let your right hand not know what your left hand is doing or, or the, the opposite. To me, it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> how does my right hand know what my, you know? But it basically means you do it in a way where you're, you, you keep it secret, hidden, you know? And some of these gifts we're gonna, that, we're, that we'll go through, they're like that. They're hidden gifts, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll get into it later on in the study, but there's some gifts that are a little bit more public, and there's some gifts that are a little bit more hidden. All, all are beautiful and are needed and are miraculous and are given by God for, the, for his glory and for our good. But maybe you're thinking with this gift, you're like, man, Zach, don't you know that this is young adults group? I'm in college. I barely have enough money as it is. I've been living off of ramen and pizza pockets, you know, for like two weeks. That was me. That was me in college, you know. You're thinking, this gift has to be for people who are wealthy, who got money, who got dough, who have a business, who have a house in California. Come on. This has to be for those people. Look at Mark chapter 12. Jesus will answer us with this. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I have it on the screen too if you need to look up. It says, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched people putting in money into the offering box. Many rich, rich people put in large sums, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them so sweetly, check this out, he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box because they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Man, what a picture of giving. This truth might rock you tonight and might hurt, but you don't have to be wealthy to be giving. <laughs> You don't have to be wealthy to be giving. I mean, look back at, at the way that Paul calls us in Romans 12 to the one who gives. He says there in Romans 12, verse eight, he says, the one who contributes or gives does it in generosity. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount of wealth you have. Nothing to do with the amount of wealth you have. All of us have something in here to give. And the person with this gift, though you might be broke like me, <laughs> You have that divine instinct to give. And so the person with this gift has a divine instinct to give to those in need generously out of whatever they have. And they find great joy in giving freely of money, possessions, time, energy, and love. Giving is so much more than, than money, guys. So much more than money. It could be of your possessions, the things that you own, the time, man, that's probably the biggest one. I'm finding that out as a, as a dad and a, another one on the way. Like, I'm finding that out. Like, time is so precious, so precious. And it is something that we can give. Energy, our, our energy, our passion, the, the energy that we have, even in our youth, to spend it on the Lord, man. Use it. Use it. And so thirdly, we went through mercy, gift of mercy, the gift of giving, and thirdly, the gift of service. And this one we also find in Romans 12, verse 7. And it says, If your gift is serving others, serve them well. Some of your Bibles might read that 
word for serving as ministry. And all of us are called to ministry. It's not the people who work at a church. All of us, if you're a Christian here, we're all called to serve. We're all called to, to minister. But the word serving there, or ministry, conveys the idea of doing practical things in order to be of service to others. And this gift is seen throughout, all throughout the, the entire Bible. Man, in Romans 16, verse 1 through 2, this is a really cool one, kind of an obscure one, but here Paul writes in Romans 16, verse 1 through 2, he says, I, re- I recommend to you our sister Phoebe. He's, he's lifting this girl up, okay? And he says, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Check this out. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. How rad is that? This girl who helped Paul on his missionary trips, no doubt, as he would visit churches, is now forever in the Bible that we're reading 2,000 years ago, being praised for her service, for, the, for having that gift of serving. So cool. We see, we see the gift even in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 9. I don't have this verse up there, but about a lady named Tabitha who served those around her by making quilts and blankets. That she blessed those around her by making stuff and giving it to those who were in need. But my, my favorite example is, is also found in Acts, and it's found in chapter 7, when the church appoints seven men to serve tables for widows. All right, this is busboy duty. Maybe some of you work at a restaurant, or if you worked at a restaurant, and you know how difficult it is to wait tables and to deal with customers and, and doing all that stuff. And, but check out this, what it says in Acts chapter 7, the requirement that they made for people with this gift, as they chose seven men. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, that's good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So if you, if you, maybe you're thinking, man, maybe, maybe I have that gift. This is a good requirement for you right here. They list here in the book of Acts. Good reputation, being full of the Spirit, but also being wise, full of wisdom in how you serve, in the way that you serve. And what's so cool in that specific story is those seven men that they chose were like legends in the book of Acts. They would go on to be known as one of the seven. Like when they would refer to one of them, they'd say, oh, that's Philip of one of the seven. Like they had that title. They were, I mean, Stephen, who was one of these men, the first martyr of the church. Come on. Philip, who was also one of the men there, went, left a revival in, in and in a in an amazing work that God was doing, followed God's spirit that led him into the desert to lead this Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord, baptizes him, Ethiopian eunuch, comes out of the water, Philip's gone. He's straight up teleported by the Holy Spirit somewhere else. Boss, like, awesome. And then you read about Philip later on in his life, and he has daughters who prophesy. It's like, Come on. This guy's like, dude, good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Where did it start? They were serving tables to widows, to people who are neglected. Man, you never know where God will take you. When, like Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, in the small, I will make you faithful in much, in great. You never know where God will take you, you know? I, and I really dislike the way that culture can sometimes treat it where you have to step over people in order to rise up, where you're like, man, you know, like maybe 
you're thinking this, I don't know, you're probably not thinking this, but you're like, I want to be that guy with the mic. I want to be that. How do I, how do I, you know, and you come up to church and you're like, I want to serve. And they're like, sweet. What box do you want to fill out? And you're like, uh, where's, where's like pastor? Where's the pastor box? <laughs> That's what I want to do. I want to teach people, <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it starts small. That's, that's what I want to say. Be faithful in the small things, you know? You know, what Jesus calls success is different than what the world calls success. And you know how I know that? It's because when Jesus talks about when you, first, you and I first get to heaven, you know what God's words to us are going to be? Not, well done, good and successful servant. You were awesome. You were like so much money and like you, oh man, everyone loved you. But Jesus' words were well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is required for those that are given the gift of service. Serving others, man, this gift is so much more than just serving out of our own strength. 1 Peter 4.11 says that whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, you know? And if you have that gift, maybe, maybe you've like helped out at church. Maybe you were helping out this past Easter and you were like, man, I needed that strength. I needed it. Man, I was exhausted after that. But it was there, wild. And anybody who served this past Easter and talked to the pastors or the worship team or any of the people who helped set up and stuff like that, the guys who were there the night before setting up that stage and like all that stuff so that way people could hear the gospel, you'll hear them like, yeah, it was exhausting, but I just was able to do it. Like I had the strength. It's because God provides that strength. He supplies that strength. And this gift of service, it's so much more than ordinary service. So much more than the wonderful service that we experience at Chick-fil-A. Am I right? Can we just give a shout out to, where's Evander? There he is, right there. Come on. Chick-fil-A, Laguna Niguel. Let's go. Every time I hear that, my pleasure is just like, mm. Whenever my wife and I go to Chick-fil-A, we're like, you want to go to church? She's like, I'm feeling church. And I'm like, let's go to church. And we go and get a chicken sandwich. It's glorious. It's It's amazing. <laughs> So, but service is so much more than even that. The high, what we would what we would say this is this is top service right here. The service Chick Fil A. This is top. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. You know, and and even somebody with this gift, you know, there's tendencies to be busybodies with this gift because ser- being a servant and being somebody who's a busybody just trying to do everything. Those are two different things. Two different things. Look, look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I have it on the screen too. It says that now as they went on their way, this is Jesus and the disciples. It says that they entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Note that right there, okay? Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve all alone. Tell her then to help me. So sweetly, Jesus, look look at his answer, verse 41. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Like Martha, those with this gift can fall into the trap of thinking that they're the only one doing everything. You know, maybe some of us have felt that before. You're like, am I the only one that cares about, you know? And you're like, can you, you go to the pastor and you're like, can you please tell 
these people to get on my level? Like, seriously. (laughs) Maybe you're not saying that, but... (laughs) But the, the problem with that, when you, when you think that way, is it can, it can lead you to looking down upon others because they don't help, which is sin, <laughs> really. Don't fall into that trap. Don't let sin produce cynicism in you, okay, where you're just critical towards everybody. People with the gift of service, they're often to make that, per, that same mistake that Martha made, being anxious and worried about all these things, being even distracted, too busy, But listen, they were too distracted and busy from the importance of the one good thing, sitting at Jesus' feet, all right? What Martha was doing, it wasn't wrong, you know? I mean, she was doing a good thing. She was trying to help out the disciples, Jesus, you know, and like, hey, I'm trying to cook you guys a meal. I'm trying to, you guys have been going, you know, like you can almost put yourself in that picture. Like, she's not doing a bad thing, but she had missed the good thing. And the person with the gift of service sometimes can get so busy that they miss that good thing. They're not sitting at Jesus' feet. They're always at church serving everything, but how often are they spending alone with the Lord? How long are they sitting at the feet of Jesus? And this gifting, it's often done behind the scenes too. It's not public one, you know, like I was talking about before. And it's sad that we have that problem at church, right? We, we see people who have public gifts and we're like, That's what the gifts of the Spirit look like, you know? But it's so not true. It's so not true. You know, we tend to elevate one person above another because they have a public gift that's like preaching or teaching or the evangelist, Greg Laurie, you know, and his face is everywhere. And you're like, that's what it looks like to serve the Lord, you know? But it's, you know, we celebrate those more showy gifts. And the other kinds of gifts we don't really talk about or we don't celebrate. You know, maybe when someone has a, pub, a more public gift, we say, oh man, they're so anointed. But the person who's doing the behind the scenes work isn't as celebrated. Or maybe when someone uses that showy public gift, it's easy for us to be like, oh man, God was really at church today. The spirit was there. But we don't really say that when the fact that even like you guys today, when you showed up, everything was set up for you when you got here. Did you guys notice that? Most of us don't even think about it when we come in here. But even here at Refuge, that there's guys and there's girls that set apart their time, that come here early to get everything set up and cleaned and nice for you guys so that when you guys get here, it's easy to find your seat and it's easy to just meet with the Lord. Isn't the Spirit of God in that as well? Isn't the Spirit of God in that as well? So we can't say that one gift shows the Spirit more than the other. All gifts are manifested through the miracle of the Holy Spirit. Man, we want people talking about how awesome Jesus is, not how amazing a person is or how amazing worship was or how, you know, a worship leader is or whatever. We want people leaving church saying, man, God was amazing. What Jesus did at at Refuge or at church was awesome. And so the believer with this gift of service quickly recognizes practical needs in the life of others, and finds great joy in meeting them. And the server is content to do behind the scenes setup, repairs, preparation, cleanup, et cetera, without the need for recognition or spotlight. That's the gift of service. Sorry, I went a little bit long on that one, longer than I wanted to. So next would be healing in tongues. You guys ready? It's about to get weird. I'm just joking. If you want to hear about that, come next week. I'm going to close. I'm going to stop the Bible study right there. So if you want to hear about that, the gift of healing 
the gift of tongues. We're going to talk about that next week, okay? It will get weird. No, I'm just joking. It's not going to get weird. But today, I really wanted us to look at these three gifts, you know, and I feel like the Lord kind of just put it on my heart because these three gifts are so natural that they're supernatural, okay? They're so natural that they're supernatural. You know, me personally in, in my life, when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, when I gave my life to Jesus, um, going into senior year in high school, and I was taught the Holy Spirit, and I remember being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and going into my like college years, and even when I moved out here to California and I was going to college out here, I was confused about the gifts of the Spirit. I had no idea what my gifts were. I knew, I knew about this, you know, the Holy Spirit. I knew all that stuff, and I was like, but what are my gifts? I was so confused like that. And it wasn't until I started getting involved at a church and I started getting around other believers and people that I was really able to understand what my gifts were, what my gifts were. You know, because I had that same notion where I was elevating public gifts. I was like, this is what gifting looks like. This is what it should look like. And I, I didn't necessarily see that in my life. And I was like, am I even saved? <laughs> am I even gifted? You know? But the problem with that, when we do that, when we elevate gifts over others, is it paralyzes us to turn into spectators rather than participants, okay? All of us here, if you're, if you're Christian, if, you're, if you love Jesus, you're called to be a participant. You're called to get in the game. God didn't save you by the blood of his son so you could sit on the stands eating popcorn and watching everyone else do the work, Okay? If you're, if you're, you know, maybe in here you're like, man, Christianity, my walk is so boring, nothing ever happens. If you're, if maybe that's you and you feel like, man, my walk is so boring, it's probably because you're not participating in it. You're watching, you're being a spectator. You've decided instead to just sit on the stands. Listen, we're all in this together. I mean, not to sing that cheesy line from High School Musical, you know, <laughs> of that song. But that, I mean, that's what we titled this 1 Corinthians, that's what we titled this series in, in, is together. No one of us can do it alone. Pastor John can't do it alone. Pastor Andrew can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need each other. And like Pastor Andrew said last week, when you don't use your gifts, the only people who suffers is the church. They're the only ones that suffer. I mean, look at, I mean, I was just even being reminded about this recently. Like, look at LeBron James, Okay awesome athlete, great basketball player. Whether you like him or not, you can't deny that fact that the guy can ball, right? He's amazing. You know how much he spends on keeping his body nutritionally well and physically in shape? Did anyone hear about this? He spends $1.5 million a year to keep his body at top performance. This guy is like an unreal athlete, all right? He's unreal, right? But you know what? He can't win it by himself. With all that money, with all that popularity, with the new Space Jam movie coming out, part two, you know, which will never beat one. I'm sorry. Why even try? Can we stop making sequels of great movies and just let great movies be? <laughs> Come on. Preaching another sermon. Sorry. Uh, Back to what I was talking about. <laughs> LeBron can't do it on his own, you know? Just because people know so much about his popularity, even all the way across the world in China, he will admit the fact that he can't do it on his own. It takes more than one super gifted skill set to get it done. And the same idea is true in the church. It takes more than one super gifted person to do God's work. 
We're not all called to just watch one really gifted person. That's not God's plan for your life. That's not God's intent for your life. We're gifted by God to spend it on one another. That's why you're gifted. God doesn't want you in the stands. He wants you in the field. So maybe you're thinking at the end of all of this, you're like, all right, Zach, well, how do I discover these gifts though? How do I know if I have these? I still don't really have a clear idea. I just want to close with this really quick, guys. We discover our spiritual gifts by first pursuing our general responsibility. I'll say that again. We discover our spiritual gifts by first pursuing our general responsibility. What do I mean by that? Start pursuing what God has called you already to do. What are you called to do? If you're new to this church, get plugged in. Start reading the Bible with other Christians. Start learning about what it means to follow Christ. And as you pursue that, we discover what we're most effective in. Don't focus so much on what finding your gift is. You know, God's not going to reveal it to you as you're like sitting and you're like praying. You're like, Lord, gift me with something. Lord, reveal it to me. And he's like, healing. And you're like, I will now therefore walk in healing. And you like, you leave that room walking in healing. It's not like that, guys. It's not like that. Spiritual gifts develop and are revealed in the context of ministry. So if you don't know what your gifts are, my question is, how are you serving? How are you getting in? Because if you want to figure out what your gifts are, that's the way you're going to find out. It's more important to develop a pattern of service than it is to pinpoint a specific gift. Start being the body to one another and the gifts will manifest themselves because God steers moving ships. If you, he steers you when you're active. He reveals stuff to you when you're active, not when you're being apathetic and you're just like, God, I'm not gonna do anything until you say anything, you know? He steers moving ships. That's how God guides us. It's like riding a bike. You can't ride it unless you get that first push of momentum. So let me get a little bit more specific than that. All right, so that's the general. A little bit more specific than that. You can find a, a good way to discover your gifts is in a combination of these three things. I'm gonna be really quick with these because I'm going way over. These three things, okay? Ability, affinity, and affirmation. Ability. Often God takes what you're already good at and he supercharges it and gives you an unusual effectiveness in it. For example, Paul the Apostle. He was a scholar, he was a thinker. But when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, Oh man, did God use his thinking and his studying to, man, powerfully move the gospel. I mean, half of, if not all of your New Testament that you're holding is written by him. God used a natural gift in Paul and supercharged it. So rad. But with ability, there are exceptions, right? The Holy Spirit will at times gift someone with a gift that doesn't have anything to do with their natural ability. Sometimes you have no natural ability in something and God gives you the ability to do that. And you're like, whoa, I didn't know that I could do that. And I've never been good at that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, to say it's, it's true for me. I know some of the guys in the back for worship team. Before I was saved, I was tone deaf, which means like I didn't have any musical ability to sing. Like I could hear something, but I couldn't like, like, yeah, like, I was like, yeah, you know, maybe some of you have heard my worship, and you're like, Zach, you're still tone deaf. I don't mean to break it to you. <laughs> I'm joking, but are serious. <laughs> but as I walked with the Lord, you want to know something amazing? I mean, the fact that I get to lead worship in any capacity and sing, like, it's a gift from God, and I understand that, and I hold it humbly that way, man. God gave me that gift of singing. I didn't have that when I started. I did not have that ability at all. 
So look at your life. What are you naturally good at? What are your abilities? What comes easy to you? Ability. Next, affinity. What are you naturally drawn to? What do you feel most alive participating in? You know, each of us has a unique perspective and passion that is discovered when we're in a community, okay? Pay attention to that because you see needs differently than others, right? You're burdened by things differently than other people are. That's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. As you develop this passion to see those needs met, you know, you're the one that's going up to the church. It's like, we need to start a singles ministry because I see all the singles out there and they need Jesus and they need to find spouses or whatever you, your idea might be for it, you know? You know, and you're like, okay, all right. And if someone came up to me and said that, I'd be like, you might have a gift. You're passionate about that. Or maybe on the other hand, you're like, there's so many married couples in this church that aren't connected. You know, where are my married people at here at Young Adults? We're still strong. Come on, let's go. Let's go for it. Let's go. Hey, side note, if you get married, you can still come here, all right? We still love you. Um, but maybe you're like that. You're like, we need to connect the, the married couples. And it's like, rad, you might have a gift. You might have a gifting in that. See, our passions can um, create that reality and that tension that the body of Christ needs to grow. Because in reality, everyone needs to get ministered to, right? Everybody needs the gospel, even left-handed midgets. You know, it's like, you could create a ministry for anything. You know, like, we need to minister to, you know, uh, recently furloughed clowns. <laughs> You're like, let's go. <laughs> I would, for one, would love to be part of that ministry. If there's one. Everyone needs to be ministered to. <laughs> I lost you. Sorry, let me bring you back. So affinity, what are you... What are you really passionate about? What are you really passionate about, okay? Don't view that as a problem for someone else to solve, but as an invitation for you to step out and to meet that need. Ability, what are you naturally good at? Affinity, what are you passionate about? Affirmation, this one is probably the biggest one. Affirmation, do other people recognize that gifting in your life? You know, like someone might say, I wanna be, you know, a stand-up comedian. <laughs> And you're like, I have never laughed at, at you, like once. That is not a good idea, you know? <laughs> it's, it's pretty key. Or maybe you're like, I have the gift of administration and organizing. And you're like, you've never organized anything. Like, look at your car. It's a mess. Your life is a mess, actually. No, no. You know, <laughs> affirmation affirmation is needed, all right? It's the reason why we have the first couple of episodes every season at American Idol, right? <laughs> Someone thinks they could sing, <laughs> and then you're like, no, well, you can't actually can't. <laughs> you know, affirmation is, is needed. Are people calling out this gift in your life? Or on the flip side, if you're mature enough in your walk, are you calling out other people's gifts? Are you giving out that affirmation to other people? Do you know how life-giving that is and life-changing that is to, to speak into someone's life and say, hey, brother, sister, like, you have the gift of mercy. Like, I see that in your life. Or you have the gift of encouragement or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, like, that is so life-changing. That, that was something I experienced as I was a young worship leader and a pastor came up to me randomly as he taught at a service I led and it was horrible. I was just learning guitar. Man, it was... It was bad, okay? And this pastor came up to me afterwards and he just spoke into my life and he was like, you know what? Stay humble, 
Stay in God's grace because God has his hand on your life, man. And I, like, no joke, I have that written down in my phone, in my notes to this day. That was years ago. Man, that changed the, the course of my life. It spurred on so much in my life. So where have you seen people maybe in your life come up to you and say, man, I've seen God use this in your life. So be prepared for someone to let you know what you're gifted in, but also be prepared to let, for someone to let you know what you're not gifted in too. Where do those three things collide? Ability, affinity, affirmation. Where you find those th- three things colliding, you might have just discovered a spiritual gift that you have. And if you have discovered that gift, use it. Not in pride, but for God's glory. Because like I said before, ultimately the God is not, I mean, the gift is not for our self-expression or to puff ourselves up. The gift is for each other. That's what it's for. Andrew talked about it last time. The purposes of the gift, to equip, to equip the church for the ministry, to empower us to preach the gospel, and to build each other up. That's what the gifts are meant for. So your gifts are not meant for you. They're meant for you to spend it on someone else, on other people. Let's pray together before I lose you guys. This is super long. I'm so sorry. Let's pray together. Let's just pray this in. You know, maybe you might have just given your life recently to the Lord. And you're like, I have no idea what any of this means. You know, focus on Jesus. Focus on the greatest gift that he's given us, which is salvation, which is the love that we've received from Jesus Christ. If you haven't given your life to God, I would encourage you, receive that gift first. That's the greatest gift you can receive is the gift of salvation. And maybe for some of us here today, you're a believer and you've just been, you realize, man, I've been sitting in the stands. I haven't been participating. I would pray that the love of Jesus Christ would compel you to get active in the church. Jesus wasn't passive. He didn't stay in heaven passively on his throne. He went out and he calls us to do the same, to go out. And lastly, maybe you've been serving, you've been using your gifts, but you've been feeling really burnt out or overwhelmed. Just pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would overfill your life with the love of Jesus because like we read before, that's where ministry begins, is sitting at his feet, amazed by his love. God, we give you our lives, Lord. We thank you for the spiritual gifts that you have given us, Lord, and we thank you, God, that there's purpose behind them. God, I pray that for those in here, Lord, that haven't given their lives to you, they would give it to you, Jesus. That they would receive that gift, Father. They would receive the gift of forgiveness of their sins, of grace, of salvation, Lord. And for those of us maybe in this room who don't even know what our gifts are, we're still confused. God, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal, you'd even begin to stir in their hearts, Lord, Remind them of things. God, that you would use even us to affirm gifts in others, to speak it out, Lord. Even today, Lord, that if we see someone, God, give us that courage, Lord, to speak that out into someone's life, that we see that gift, that we see that certain gifting, God. Thank you, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit, Lord. You give it abundantly. Lord, your word tells us that we have not because we ask not. Lord, and maybe some of us in here, we haven't even asked. God, tonight, that's what we do. We ask, Jesus, fill us afresh with your spirit. Give us more of you, God.
we want more of you, Jesus. May you be glorified in us personally and corporately as your bride, as your church. May the name of Jesus be lifted high through every activity, every service, every gift that you've given, God. May it all be for your glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.